Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right. Hey, everyone. I am on the line with Deep Varma. Deep is Vice President of Data Engineering with Trulia. Uh, and I'm excited to have Deep join us. Uh, Deep, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. It's, you know, not that hot. This California, San Francisco being hot for the last few days, but seems like the fog is coming back. So I'm definitely doing amazing. How are you, Sam? Nice, nice. Well, I'm doing very well, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation and to learning a little bit more about how you guys use data at Trulia. Uh, why don't we get started by having you talk a little bit about your background and sure. uh, how you got into working with data? Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's you asked me a great question because, you know, when I go and I speak in some of the schools to help undergrads or the grads, you know, those who are doing the management. And one of the guys, I think, few months back in Berkeley asked me the similar kind of a question that deep, why data, right? And I think, Sam, it goes back to my reasoning, my mindset from the childhood where I was always looking into, you know, the reasons why this is this, why this is this. And when I get into my master's uh, on computer science, you know, I, I still remember, you know, there were old databases, which some of like you may know and you may not know it's a D base or the Fox base. Mm-hmm. Those were the early versions or the manifestations of the structured databases coming in and I was always being very interested and then entering into my first job in IBM, you know, it's where we are working on those XML data exchange, how we are going to have the data exchange between one entity and other entity, how the web dis- web services discovery locator going to come into the picture. So early on, the foundation was where I've been from the get-go, from my own personal desire to look into the answers as well as exposure to the early technologies get me into the databases and you know entering into then you know my journey where exploring why and what I realized is at the end of the day we are always surrounded by data and the data doesn't mean that it has to be a textual data the data is how we interact with each other when we are making phone calls to the people when I'm searching for something and that's I think it's 2001-2002 time frame was started getting into my DNA that, you know, my God, you know, every day, whenever I interact with anyone, anything I do, it's is the data. And this is where I got into Yahoo. So mm-hmm. then that was a step, you know, where getting into Yahoo, helping advertisers and publishers, you know, try to render good quality ads to the consumers. This is all again, the platform is, you know, how you understand your consumers better. And right, then right. going into my startups and, you know, looking into the data again, where we are looking into, you know, how the data floating from one system to other system, what predictions we can do. So in nutshell, I will say it is, this is how I got into the data. And I think is for me, my behavior, sometimes I'm at a point, Sam, I will tell you, when I go home, my wife have to remind me, honey, you're back home. Don't think from a data point of view. Just think, <laughs> you know, you're back home. Data reasoning is not going to work here. That's funny. That's funny. I uh, I did my some of my grad school work on queuing theory, and my wife is so tired of me analyzing lines <laughs> and queuing scenarios in banks and grocery stores and trying to tell her which line she should be in. So I definitely relate to that. Yeah. Uh, so you were in Yahoo back in the glory days. Huh? Oh, you trust me, you know, those were the glory days. And I still miss those days because, you know, Yahoo was the center of attraction and the talent was huge there. So I worked there for four years. And, you know, unfortunately, Yahoo is no longer Yahoo. But it was amazing. Absolutely. Were you involved in um, 
uh, did you use Hadoop or were you involved in kind of the development and advancement of Hadoop at that time yes. period? So early on, so when I went in, we were trying to, so Yahoo bought this company, Overture, and we were trying to integrate Yahoo's like a platform, backend platform to get the search keywords. So this okay. is where Hadoop pipelines were integral part of the data flow between the systems that how we get the data from our Pasadena based company and then into our system. So yeah, I, I was not deeply like I was not part of the Hadoop ecosystem, but I was one uh-huh. of the consumers of the Hadoop system to get the data floating around. Okay. Okay. And then now at, at Trulia, um, Tell me a little bit about your role. It sounds like, at least from LinkedIn, that you've got a pr- pretty broad set yeah. of responsibilities spanning everything from kind of your the data platform. You know, I'm sure there's some Hadoop ecosystem, something in there somewhere um, to, you know, the data science and the applications that run on top of it. Is that right? That's that's fair. And let me walk you through first why truly I think that's to me is the biggest piece which inspired me to join Trulia. And do you mind, Sam, if I ask you, uh, no, do, you do you rent a home or do you you have your own home? Uh, I own, yes. Awesome. I'm pretty sure you're going to relate to this story. So this is way back in 1999 when we decided to buy our first home. Mm-hmm. You know, it is me and my wife, you know, they, the, the data was there, but the data was in storage like i have to go into police stations i have to go into counties i have to go into those areas to collect the data we take this data then me and my wife sit together we go through the listings we look into the neighborhood we used to maintain our excel sheet oh let's look into this listing and it it was a cumbersome process and it was an emotional journey for us to go through this exercise. And it took us months to buy our first home and we did it finally, Mm -hmm. right? And that inspired me to join Trulia because, you know, when you think it's how can we use this data? When I I was in my early conversations with Trulia, that was the biggest thing for me is, you know, how I'm going to come and join Trulia and make an impact to build Trulia as more of a data-driven product company. And first thing in my mind was the use case of me in 1999 buying a home that mm-hmm. can I make for millions of consumers that journey much more meaningful, much more enjoyable by using this data. So that's how my journey began with uh, Trulia. Now, just to go a little bit more detail into my role in Trulia, I think it's, it's you know, Trulia is, you know, our number one goal. And this is where our founders, they saw a huge opportunity to change this marketplace by providing information and insights to our consumers to help them make the right decision and, you know, and make this journey home search journey easy and enjoyable. So, you know, with that mindset, with that goal, what our founder set in forth, we we continue, my goal was to continue this and provide amazing experiences to our consumers. And we are investing a lot in our personalization, big data, machine learning platforms to help consumers like me to, you know, find their perfect home in much more efficient and better way than I did, you know, uh-huh. years back. So that's in nutshell what role is. And I'm happy to dive into more details about those uh, technologies, what I'm talking about. Uh, why don't we start with um, you talking a little bit about the the data products and what are, from a consumer experience perspective, sure. how do... How is you know machine learning and AI and the various data products that you create on your team, how is that surface to the Trulia user? Yeah, so I think, you know, it's first of all, data-driven 
product companies, you know, Sam, there is a big mind shift needs to happen. And I'm just, you know, three years back when I joined Trulia, my philosophy was always been to transform and use this data more on their offensive strategy rather than defensive strategy. And I'm going to go into answer your question, but I just wanted to give you a little bit more details because, you know, when you think about the data-driven companies, there are two aspects of the data-driven company. One is the data-driven decision-making, another is the data-driven product. And the decision-making is more your product analytics, you know, where you launch a feature and then you, oh, is this feature working or this feature is not working? So my one goal is to transform this data-driven decision-making more from a defensive to offensive by saying, is this feature going to work? So that's the one component. And the second component, which is the discussion we are having today, is around the data-driven product company. And this is where the way it surfaces to our consumers, our average consumer have no idea when they come to Trulia, when they engage with Trulia via mobile web app or our browser or desktop applications, they don't know that we use the data. It is basically pretty much embedded in their user experience. It is embedded when they explore, when they start their search journey. It is our responsibility to understand their behavior, what they're looking into. And what we have done, Sam, is we have built an underlying personalization platform first And so think about that as our foundation. And, you know, this is where we have our consumers' unique preferences, search criteria, and, you know, what they're looking into, like Deep is looking into quiet neighborhood, good school district and mission district of San Francisco. That's a personalization platform. Mm-hmm. On top of it, we have our machine learning pillars, and there are many pillars what we have invested in machine learning. The first one is our computer vision and deep learning. The second one is our recommender engine. The third one is our user engagement uh, models. And the fourth one is our uh, natural language processing or the natural language generation. So these are the machine learning pillars what we have. and. The, you know, and then we use all those pieces in tandem, like machine learning pillars, personalization platform, all together to give mm-hmm. that experience to our consumers. When, if, when you come to our site and you look into, you know, the photos, when you look into the, when you receive an email from Trulia, when you receive a push notification from Trulia, all this is part of our machine learning technologies, which the goal is to engage our consumers and give them much more relevance experience during their stay with Trulia. And I'm, I will go definitely this conversation. I will give you more details around each and every component, what we're going to talk. But if you have any question, I'm happy to ask, address that first. Okay. Uh, there's there's just so much in there to to yeah. dig into. Um, I like the, I, I like the distinction between the decision-making versus the products. And you mentioned specifically, uh, also this kind of dichotomy between offensive and defensive. Can you elaborate on that uh, a yeah. bit more? Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think is being in the Silicon Valley for close to two decades now, and I have seen startup companies coming up and, you know, their focus is mostly around building the products. There there are companies like Google's and Facebook's are definitely, you know, those who are more data driven. But I have seen early on when the company start building the products, their focus has never been the data side. They have a couple of analytics who are staying behind the scene. Oh, should I change my pricing? Should I make my pricing for this consumer do this? It's always an after five, six years, if they have to, you know, raise more funds or they're about to go public or when they go public, now the mind shift changes. Oh, what is my differentiator? How Hmm. I'm going to differentiate my product, how I'm going to bring my consumers back, how I'm going to engage my consumers. And this is where the offensive strategy comes into a picture that why not we have the companies 
start thinking about the data from the get-go. What data you're collecting? How do you build? And I think that's a struggle. And that struggle mm-hmm. brings it to the point where companies have to go back and reinvest their resources, their millions of dollars to build, rebuild their architecture. Because if you think about the data, Sam, at the end of the day, this conversation, what you and me are having is so much we are talking about in, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, we are collecting this data and we are compacting into a podcast, but these are the signals, right? So there is a quality right. of the data, integrity of the data. How do we take all those things and bundle up so that the organizations are thinking about changing the direction from the get-go rather than after the fact and after years thinking about? So that's the way you know, I think, and I think I wanted to differentiate between the two aspects, which I talked earlier, and I just want to make sure that both you and me are on the same page. One is the decision making, another is the product building. Both of those facets requires the data. Decision making is our amazing analytics teams, rather than them working on the data and saying, is it working? I want to transform that to, is it going to work? That's the Mm -hmm. big differentiation. And the product, what we talked about, you know, that's the second facet of it. Does it make sense so far? Yeah, no, it does make sense. And, um, you know, I think the... The the transformation that you described is kind of going, you know, maybe it's a different cut at that defensive versus offensive. And, yeah. and a lot in another way or put another way, you're trying to get teams to stop building, you know, rear view mirror analytics and start, you know, building analytics that predicts what's you know going to be happening in front of the windshield. Here you go. I think you nailed it better than me. Right. It's, it's the right way to explain it right yeah and i think that that is you know that transformation is something that's happening very broadly in you know industry not just in technology companies but also yes. in enterprises and it's you know that need to look out the the windshield and not be stuck you know reading reports that took weeks to create that reflect the previous quarter and aren't really even relevant anymore i think that's why you know, enterprises are kind of grasping onto, you know, machine learning and AI based solutions as a way to kind of give them that forward looking view. Yep. And I will add one more thing, Sam, here. So also, you know, when you think about any enterprise, any startup, any technology company, at the end of the day, the you know, all the work is done by the people and you have the limited resources and, you know, you are building a product rather build a product which is going to work in the marketplace. Like no one has this magic wand to say this is going to work, but this this mm-hmm. uh, front, you know, this uh, offensive strategy or, you know, whatever way we want to say, it helps us to align our resources in the right direction too so that we mm-hmm. can change the direction of our ship going in the true north rather than, you know, go in the south direction and then right, bring right. it back. Right, right. Before we dive into the the platform yeah. that you built, you know, one thing does strike me is that, you know, perhaps more than some other companies, truly is, you know, truly is product. This offering is data, right? And, and I'm making some assumptions, sure. uh, but I'm assuming that you're, you know, sourcing, you know, a bunch of different feeds, and you even describe some of these, you know, you know, your MLS listings, your county you know, data feeds, maybe pulling in from good schools and other sites that are producing aggregate data on, you know, schools and crime and all these things like your fundamental data is so fundamental to the thing, the things that you do before you even get to how do you kind of what have you built and what have you learned about aggregating all of this data Uh, and, and a little bit of a, a little bit of context for this, um, I often uh, hear or, you know, I recently uh, produced an event called the Future of Data Summit. And Mm -hmm. we had speakers talking about, you know, different aspects of AI. And several of them got up and said, you know, well, in order to do, you know, machine learning and AI, you have to have the data. Um, And 
I think that's true, but you know, it, it kind of glosses over the fact that sometimes you have to get the data, not just like, it's not just sitting there waiting to be exploited. You have to go and find it. And it seems like a lot of what you did is, is go and find it. And so, you know, how did you, you know, to what extent did, does your team get involved in that? And what's sure. the platform for enabling that? Yeah. I'm so glad talking to you, right? Because you are nailing down the, exactly the points that I'm passionate about. So when you, when you think about there are two pieces to the data, and I'm going to make it very simple first to start with, like when someone goes to Google and they search on a Google, the first thing what they're doing is they are giving the search engine their intent, what I'm searching for. Mm-hmm. And then Google has this content, which is they went ahead by crawlers and all those things by building the relevancy and all those things. So mm-hmm. consumer gives the intent. Google has this massive databases of the content and then the magic mm-hmm. in the middle, which takes the intent and content and matches up, which we call as a relevancy and give it to the consumer where consumer feels happy about it. Right, right now, right. In the same context, Trulia also have the two parts of the data. One is the consumer uh, for whom we are building this product. And then the content, where we get this content from. And I think, you know, this is the listings, as you talked about. This is the public records, which you talked about. Now, schools data, the crime data, you know, the commute data. I think it is, that's the difference between 1999 and 2017, where we have the technologies like real-time messaging systems like Kafka, we have strong topologies or the streaming systems, we have those Hadoop or Spark technologies where we can make it easier to ingest those data into Mm -hmm. our systems. So we have and this data is pretty open, right? I have written on my blog. Roughly, we have 2.5 million active for sale listings on our system. So mm-hmm. across US, you have agents, those who are working with consumers to sell their home. They enter this information into MLSs, how this data comes in from MLSs to our system. Then, you know, when you sell your home, when you buy your home, you pay your taxes, you have these assessments and the taxes which are going into the counties, how we get this data. So I think my team involves at the end of the day, whatever you see on Trulia's side, it is my team's responsibility to use technologies to bring this data in the raw form first, and then enrich this data. Because when you think about, you know, you are MLS1 and you will come and say, one, two, three, four, first street, and you can spell first street as F-I-R-S-T or someone just come and write number one first street. <laughs> so we, we, we have to have this magic in the middle to join all this data and say, this data is for this property. And then once we know that, uh, you know, the geolocation, when we had the address cleansing, address normalization, and then when we work on the enrichment piece, enrichment pieces for this listing, this is the historical information about the property. This is when the property was sold last time. This is the Texas information. This listing is two minutes away from the public transit system. This is the school. And then we go through this enrichment process. Once we had that enrichment process, it goes into our indexes, which is, you know, we use our solar technology and Mm -hmm. we have built, you know, our API layers on top of it, which can take up till 10 to 15,000 requests per second to serve our front-end technologies like web, apps and, you know, mobile web or whatever it is. So what I explained it to you on surface, it looks like a big process which takes days and days and days. Interestingly enough, when the listing hits the marketplace, by the time it goes from one point with the enrichment to the front end, it is less than 15 minutes where we show the data. So this is all because of the technologies what we have enables us to give this content to consumers faster, 
So I just mm-hmm. talked about the content piece, which is, you know, the, all the data flowing around. And I think most likely when you're ready, we will jump into the intent piece, which is the personalization and all those. But does mm-hmm. it make sense so far? Uh, it does. It does. And I still have tons of questions on that content side. Um, so thinking about the various ways that you likely get data, I'm imagining uh, maybe three and, and I'm, there are probably many more, but I'm imagining, you know, some data is coming to you via feeds. Uh, maybe this is like the listing. Some data is coming you coming to you via streams. And some data is coming to you via uh, in batches. Um, like, can you characterize like how much of the data is each, and are there is there a category that I'm missing in in this? And um, in, and then like where do you you know where do you land it? How much of you know what you're doing is you know real time stream based kind of uh, processing? Yeah, so I think it's. It depends upon the set of the data. Like, so when you think about the listings, listings are majority of our listings are the stream based, which are real time because, you Mm -hmm. know, listings, here's the market. But then when you think about the public records, which is deeds, assessments, taxes, information, that is mostly the batch based what we Mm -hmm. have. And Mm -hmm. then you have the school data, which is, you know, not, it's not changing on a daily basis. That's a feed based. Then you have a crime data, which is, you know, more the streaming thing. So I think okay. it is, it depends upon the data set. What we, so we have the technologies where we define if the data needs to be refreshed more frequently, we use the streaming technologies. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, you know, we use um, batch-based systems. We have invested in building our, some of the systems uses the Lambda uh, technologies. So this is, you know, the real-time plus the batch-based. On a nightly mm-hmm. basis, we run the full Lambda and then make sure that there is, you know, the accuracy on the quality of the data being implemented. There are some places we also use Kappa. I don't know if you heard about Kappa. So Kappa is also, you know, the real time, but the batch based. So I think it's at the end of the day, my team have built those pipelines. Some Mm -hmm. pipeline uses, you know, the Kafka messages to strong topologies, the streaming technologies. Some places we have the Spark where we need the data to be processed much more faster. So I think it is at the the different data set have the different refresh uh, SLA and based on those refreshing SLAs, we tend to, you know, bring it to our systems. Uh, And before we move on, why don't you um, give us a brief overview of Lambda architectures and you mentioned Kappa uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And you mentioned Strom uh, as well. Just for folks that haven't come across those. Sure. So I think let's start with the streaming, right? So I think what's happening is the streaming, the real-time streaming and the processing. So, you know, when we have those messages, so think about if there are 2.5 million active listings are there across, you know, uh, U.S., when they hit our system, they're coming into our messaging layer and there are different messaging technologies are there. We are using Kafka, Kinesis, mix of that. From Mm -hmm. there... Um, we move into the streaming and, you know, the streaming can be Spark or it can be a strong topology. There is a place where we use strong topologies because when the listing hits, remember early on, I was telling you that we need to do uh, geo cleanse, address cleansing, address normalization, and then, you know, the enrichment. So this is where uh, the bowls, the, we have the spouts and the bolts of our uh, strong topology where spouts are the when which is ingesting the data. And then, you know, the bolts are the one which are making the decision making, you know, let I have to perform step X, Y, Z. So strong topology helps us in the real time, take the stream of the data, perform the enrichment, perform the cleansing, and then go and persist it into our new messaging layer from the data can be uh, sent over. So that's uh, the strong topology. Lambda is, 
you know, Lambda has been there in the marketplace for long. And what Lambda means is, you know, look at the on a daily basis when we are getting millions and millions of messages and, you know, it comes into our system, it is very important for us to maintain the accuracy and the quality of the data. So on a nightly basis, we rerun the whole data set, what we have collected on this day, just to make sure that if there are gaps, we fill those gaps using the Lambda architecture and which will give us the higher level of accuracy and the quality of the data coming into our system. So the only difference is in cap uh, in Lambda, you have to write your code base differently to consume the batch based. But when you move into the Kappa architecture, you don't need to write the separate code base. You can have the similar code base, which is used during the real-time streaming, and you can use the same code base for your batch-based uh, topologies also. So Kappa enables you to do that. So that's how we use um, those three technologies, which I just talked about. Okay. All right. Great. That's, uh, we'll include some links to these in the show notes. I've come across Lambda architecture before, but Kappa architecture is uh, new to me. Yeah, so it that's, is. That's it is coming pretty, yeah, it is coming pretty new in the marketplace last couple of years. Okay. I see people using it more. Okay, great. Uh, so you've ingested all of this data, um, and uh, you've used technologies like Lambda and Kappa architectures, Apache Storm and other uh, technologies, uh, Kafka queues and messaging and all these things to get all this data in to enrich it. Uh, and where do you where do you land it? So if your question on the landing is where do we persist it? Right. That's, yeah. So we 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 persisted in our solar index. So solar is the search technology. And when you think about, you know, we have this millions and millions of rows coming in. Do we need to, if there are 100 attributes in a row, do we need to persist everything in the solar? So we basically, all the searchable things we store in our solar and then the things which are not searchable, which are just an augmentation of the data, can go into any of the NoSQL databases or some places where we feel the data is much more structured and we don't need, we uses mm-hmm. the relational databases also, where the volume is pretty small. So we use MySQL. And that's how we persist. So we use, you know, Solar, HBase, Redis, DynamoDB. MySQL, and I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure, you know, AeroSpike is another one which we recently started using the key value pair systems. So we use a very wide variety of the databases uh, here in Trulia. And again, it all boils down to the use cases where do we need to store what? Right, right. So you have individual teams that are working on, you know, given products that are surfaced through the site and they choose whatever data store makes the most sense for their use cases. Uh, Is that right? Yes, yes and no. So, right. So, for example, you know, if we know the latency is a big thing for us, then storing that in HBase may not make sense. So people may decide to use, you know, Redis or they may go with the DynamoDB. And mm-hmm. so I think we we have the some guidelines around, like the biggest thing for us is build the databases and see the latency, right? Because we have mm-hmm. the API, we have abstracted all the data as an API layer on top of those systems so that when front-end team comes and says, give me all the data for this listing, then this API goes across the different systems or the databases to bring the data, stitch it together. So latency Mm -hmm. plays a major role. But to some extent, what you were trying to say, yes, the decentralization of teams definitely enable us to have teams pick the technologies what they want to pick. We don't put so many guidelines except for the latency as one of the prerequisite, making sure that we pick the right technologies. Okay, okay. All right, so then all that in place, uh, let's jump into the personalization platform and the the stuff that you're doing on top of it. 
here you go. That's the fun piece, right? It's a, <laughs> right? I, I really love that piece. So I think now we, what we talked about in last few minutes was mostly around the content, right? So now we need to start thinking from an intent point of view. So when consumers, they come to Trulia, you know, when they are interacting with our website or mobile app or mobile web or email, at any given moment of time, what we have seen, our consumers are generating those signals and the signals are nothing but their intent. You know, mm-hmm. Deep is looking into, you know, a listing uh, in Noe Valley of a San Francisco, which is in quiet neighborhood. That's a signal. And then Deep is looking into photos, you know, and what kind of the photos Deep is looking into. So we have this stream of data flowing into our system, what signals and what we internally call those as an events. And events are generated by consumer interacting with those products. So we basically take those events and our personalization platform and, you know, collects those events. The events are just think about, you know, if Sam goes to Trulia and you look into some site, you know, on an average, like when you look into a specific property, Sam mm-hmm. is going to generate an average of 20 events, you know, within a few minutes of your interaction. So we have this, again, the real-time messaging layer, which collects those signals. And, you know, we have, Trulia has millions of consumers uh, which are active on a monthly basis. So when they send those signals, we bring it to our Kafka layer. And from the Kafka layer, we basically brings it again. We use uh, streaming technologies like Spark or Strom, again, for the intent side of the technology stack too. And this is where either we have the real-time machine learning models in place or we have some aggregated systems where those signals are getting evaluated, right? Okay, we just see deep or we saw an anonymous consumer. We take all those data and then we persist it into our caching layer where that caching layer, which can be, you know, so HBase is our persistence layer for all the personalization platform, but then the caching Mm -hmm. layer is the Redis, what we have. Okay. So if Sam is pretty much active on our site, then Sam moves from HBase to Redis. That's how we make because of the latency. So this at the end, you know, this personalization platform stores Sam's unique preferences, Sam's search criteria. It's, you know, Sam is looking into your Sam owns this two bedroom, three bath in St. Louis area in a quiet neighborhood. Sam is looking into this. So I think that's the personalization platform is a very foundational aspect, which drives rest of the other thing. Then on top of, I'm going to move over to machine learning systems. Is that fine now? Sure, sure. Yeah. So now when you think about this personalization platform is in, put into place, which is like an engine which is working on a daily basis by itself. Our first machine learning platform is computer vision and the deep learning. Okay. And this is where we, we've been leading this industry in the computer vision and the deep learning for years where, you know, computer vision, right? It's, it's a system which we have built where we have, you know, trained our systems, machines to look into photos and they can see, oh, I'm looking into a photo of, a, you know, the swimming pool or I'm looking into a photo of a kitchen which has a granite countertop. So mm-hmm. that's the computer vision what we have implemented and then what we do is all those unique attributes the data which comes out of the system powers our home page and in our home page you will see what we call as collections the collections are nothing but the, the group of properties which we bring it together so you may see collections like you know homes with swimming pools or home with remodel homes or homes with kitchen granite countertop so those are the collections which uh, we powers our home page and the more our consumers engage with these collections the more insight we get into our consumers so that's the one 
use case of our computer vision. The second mm-hmm. use case of our computer vision is, you know, I'm pretty sure you, me, and all the consumers, when they start their home buying journey, the first thing they do is they come into site like Trulia and they search for neighborhood, then they go to a listing, and then they start looking into the photos of the home. That's how the journey starts. And right. if if those photos are not engaging, and if those photos are not telling story, consumers are going to lose their interest and they will keep moving into the second and third. So what we have done is we using uh, conventional neural networks, CNN models, we have invested in understanding, you know, the scene types of the photos, whether the photo is appropriate or not, like some someone can just put a photo of a dog. So we say, great, you know, we can see it is not a photo of a home. It is a photo of a dog. And then the quality of a photo is this photo mm-hmm. is blur, is this photo is much more clear. So these three things, what we take out from our CNN models is the quality of a photo, appropriateness, and the scene type. We score those things and then the highest performing photo, what we call as our hero image. So what Mm -hmm. we do is most attractive photo. When you start your journey, we put the most attractive photo for you first so that your engagement becomes much more better with Trulia. So that's the second Mm -hmm. use case of our uh, machine learning uh, computer vision And what we have seen by investing in those technologies, you know, there are double digit increase in uh, inquiries for our listing. So that's the Mm -hmm. one piece. Make sense so far? And is the, is that lift based on, uh, do you think um, primarily just getting the right listing in front of the, the right person who's likely to like it? Or is it, um, you know, getting rid of the or kind of suppressing the listings that aren't, you know, good in general. You know, is there any one factor that drives the kind of results that you've seen? Yeah, so I think our relevancy is driven mostly by the consumer's behavior, what consumers are interested into. And okay. so we basically just based on the consumer needs, and this is where the personalization platform comes into a play to drive that computer vision on the serving side, what to serve to the consumer. Mm -hmm. Make sense? So, yes. So two different users, um, you know, say my wife and I are kind of collaboratively shopping for a home as husbands and wives tend to do. Um, You know, she might, when she goes to the site, she might see pool pictures first and I might see kitchen pictures first or what have you, depending on what what our interests are. And these aren't interests that, we've explicitly shared with you their interests that you've derived from the various you know signals from watching the way we interact with the site that's that's fair and that's how basically the more you engage the more we know about you because if you come for the first time we really don't know about you right it is basically right. we need to reach enough confidence level to serve you the right content but yes your assessment was pretty good mhm um, it, it's funny. I can't help, but, uh, the thing that I, as, as a, as someone who travels a lot, uh, and as a result uses Yelp a lot, I am always complaining about just how dumb the Yelp app is. And I've, I don't think I've ever done it on the, the podcast before, but, um, I wish they were doing more of what you're doing. When I land in a city, I pretty much like open up Yelp and like type in Thai or type in Indian every time <laughs> trying to find a place to eat. And I always wonder, like, why doesn't it just show me what it knows that I'm going to be looking for, or what it should know that I'm going to be looking for? Uh, so maybe I'll use that rant as a segue into, like, what are the challenges that you've seen or what do you think, you know, what's the barrier to, you know, more companies, you know, having technology that enables them to better know and, and personalize to their customers? So just to understand, so your question is, what is the biggest barrier to investing in this kind of technologies? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it is mostly around making sure, remember early on, we talked about the data-driven product companies, that mm-hmm. how do you understand 
the strength or the data what you have with you. And I think it's, it's the first, it needs to start from the top level, the commitment from the top level. That's the area we want to invest in. And mm-hmm. the second thing, uh, Sam, is rather than boiling the ocean, right? Oh, let's solve all the problems in one go. Pick the small use cases to evangelize within organization so that, you know, product people and the other stakeholders can bought into those concepts because, you know, AI or the machine learning is still in very infancy stage. You know, we have not mm-hmm. reached the point where everyone understands. So my recommendation to the people is definitely, you know, bring an evangelist, build the small use cases, show the value prop, back it up with the data, build slowly and gradually build a tsunami. And when this tsunami is going to hit, then everyone is going to bought into this. So that's the way mm-hmm. what I look into. Yeah, that's a great articulation of the process. Um, so you guys have also done some writing on your, your engineering blog about how you use uh, natural language processing yep. and in particular natural language generation. Can yep. you talk a little bit about that use case? Sure. So, yeah. So I think, you know, thinking about, So it all starts again for us. We don't start from thinking about machine learning first. We always start from thinking about the consumer first. That's the number one goal. Mm -hmm. And what we started seeing, there are thousands and thousands of cities or neighborhoods across U.S. when consumers come to our site, you know, they're looking for more information about this site. They're looking into more information about that neighborhood. And we said, great, now we, you know, how can we use the data, what we have to build the story? And one way you can do is, you know, you can have the human beings as editors and let them write the stories about the cities and the neighborhoods. But when you go into this kind of a massive scale, There is no way that's going to work. And that's Mm. where we said, okay, great. Now let's rely on the machine learning technologies to solve that problem. And this is where we leaned on our natural language generation system. So what we do is we, we look into a location and we have built this feature extractor. The feature extractor look into, you know, what are the restaurants close by? What are the commute systems looks like? Is the price going up for that neighborhood? Is it going down? So we Mm -hmm. extract the features. And then once those features comes out, what we have is a document planner, which looks into the features. We have a document planner. Um, But before we go into a description generator, we have built our content bank. So think about the content bank is where we build the sentences based on the features that if we say this, like this neighborhood is a Victorian style homes. So our content bank is going to have a sentence which will say Victorian this neighborhood has Victorian homes. So we have this content bank and that content bank is built based on some of the crowdsourcing, which definitely we do. But we Mm -hmm. use our data mining and machine learning technologies to look into the data to build those content bank. So now think about the document planner coming out for a neighborhood or a city or a specific location, which has all the feature sets we have a content bank and this is where then we use the description generator. So description mm-hmm. generator, take the document planner, take the content bank bank, and use the NLG to generate um, the content for that specific mm-hmm. location. So that's how we use NLG and, you know, it's been going great on that front. Hmm. So what I, what I think I hear you saying, and this can be instructive to folks that want to use this, is that, as opposed to, um, you know, throwing a bunch, you know, trying to throw a bunch of data to some uh, natural language generation system and kind of hoping for hoping for it to generate something that makes sense. You guys have broken up the problem and structured it, you know, in such a way that you know, first you're um, you're identifying the you know you call them features of your of a given neighborhood, you know, maybe not features in the sense of a training and machine learning algorithm, but they're, you know, just attributes of a neighborhood. 
and you kind of structure your descriptions, you know, so that, you know, you will highlight one or more of these attributes. And then the content bank, what I thought I heard was that you kind of have a set of templates or rough structures of the way you talk about different things. So, you kind of have a template for how you talk about, you know, a neighborhood composition in terms of its architecture, maybe some templates for restaurants, things like that. And then, you know, all of that, you know, those attributes that you decided to highlight in a given description and these, this set of templates are uh, utilized by this description generator to create something that, you know, sounds more human and is more readable and usable than, you know, what you might get if you just threw all the data against a, a neural net of some sort. Yeah. Uh, one clarification, the feature ext- extractor, it uses the data mining technologies to extract the attributes, what you're talking about. So yes, it goes right. into a neighborhood. It uses the data mining, it generates the attribute and you're right, spot on on the content bank in a simple form. You can think about the templates or you can think about, you know, which defines the much more vocabulary, which is easily understood by our consumers. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. Well, I know you're bumping up against uh, a time constraint here. Uh, I think this is a great, you know, use case. We spend a lot more time on the, you know, data engineering, data acquisition side than we usually do on the podcast. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed geeking out a little bit on some of that stuff. Um, but it sounds like you guys are doing really, really awesome things. And so thank you so much for being on the show and sharing them with us. Great. Thanks, Sam. All right. Thanks, Deep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. Once again, thanks so much for listening and for your continued support. Don't forget to leave your review or comment to enter our one-year anniversary listener appreciation contest. The full details can be found at swimlai.com slash birthday. And of course, you can leave your questions and comments over on the show notes page at twimlaicom slash talk slash 2525, where you'll find links to Deep and the various resources we mentioned in the show. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.